Okay, hello that for those who are joining us early, we'll just give it a, a few minutes and then we will crack into it. Luke, little little webinar, little financial freedom chat on a Thursday night. How oh, good, mate. What a timely time to be thinking about this as well. So not surprised so many people have registered to come along. And I'd imagine some people will cop a replay, uh, which is completely fine, but I think this is something that we'll be able to go back and, and revisit in the uh, months and years to come as well. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's, I mean, it's a how to build your financial plan webinar, but it's really just financial principles that, that will last, whether you're in good times or bad times. The thing about good times though, Luke, everyone forgets about the bad times. Yeah, well, also the thing about the bad times is people then forget about the good times as well. We're pretty bad like that as humans, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's very easy to forget that, you know, you had 15 years of um of a of a great run. It's very easy to forget that when you're 18 months into a um somewhat tricky period. Yeah, for sure. Even with my own investing and logging in and checking where my shares are at, even though I was parking money in shares that pay good dividends so that I could subsidize my living expenses. And I love getting those dividends, but logging in and seeing that they go backwards in value, you, you can't help but go, oh, and given that I'm quite a big fan of Heartland Bank, as I often mention on the podcast, whenever there's a shake in the American banking sector, the banking sector here feels it as well because our market's so small. So we're all riding the roller coaster, that's for sure. Do you know who loves the um, banking sector get, getting a bit of a a, um, a hit? Every every human. Nah, well, yes, but the crypto bros. The crypto oh, bros. Yes. Yeah, the bringing the banking system to their knees, man. Yes, very very true. They'll be uh, they'll be all over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how are we looking with time? So six six twenty eight. Um, Luke, I know you've already had some thoughts on it, but the um, the wealth report yesterday. Um, what do you what do you think? Oh wow, how much time do we have? Look, um, I, I got a bit of a foot in both camps, and I think both camps are one. Oh, this is disgusting. How is this happening? When realistically, this report tells us nothing new. We haven't had a, a capital gains tax here. This is literally how. Uh, things work in this country. And then my foot in the other camp is basically, well, it's not explained very well. And it's almost like we're just creating more divide and not explaining to people. There's a big difference between income that you make in your job uh, and on dividends and income streams that you pay tax on at your marginal tax rates compared to economic income, which is looked to be increases in asset prices and to do that in 2021 at the height of the the bubble effectively I think it would have a completely different set of numbers in 2022 uh, and then again the 2023 financial year so I fear that it just creates more of this um maybe a little bit of envy but also I can't get ahead and 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 my life will be way better if they just make all these changes but realistically we started taxing property with the bright line test. You know, has anybody's life gotten noticeably different? We introduced the 39% tax rate for the top income earners in New Zealand. Has anybody's life got incrementally better? Like no is always the answer. So I just think we shouldn't fall for it and should always default back to what can we do to look after ourselves. And hence, this is why we're here tonight. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And all of that stuff around um, capital capital gains and how you earn your money and those sort of things. Um, we'll talk about a little bit of that stuff in term, on the on the investing investing part. Yeah, I mean, we can all take advantage of the things that the rich are doing. It's just that they're mega minted, so it shows up uh, a lot differently for them. And often, when we make enough money, we can then turn that into assets, and we hope that those appreciate in, in value. And realistically, with the amount of people that are outraged about this, well, a lot of Kiwis buy their own home and they don't want it to go down in value. They want it to go up in value because they want mm. to borrow against the increase so that they can go and buy a car. So shouldn't we be taxing the debt that people are taking out against their personal property to go and buy a car? They haven't earned that car. They should pay tax mm. on that. So, you know, where does this argument end? But I'm going to sit down and do a podcast with Mikey about that uh, maybe tomorrow night. So it'll be my Friday night uh, or Saturday morning. But anyway. You're a fun time. Yeah, I am. Exciting stuff. Yeah, cool. All right, should we do a crack into it? Oh, sorry, Ravi. So um, before we jump into it and Luke hits me with one hell of an intro to hype me up, um, we've got a little poll before we get rolling. Um, the reason we ask these questions is mainly to understand, get a bit of a vibe of who's with us tonight. And that's just so we can tailor the content a little bit. Um, so you should have a poll up in front of you um, with just some really basic questions. And then we've got a couple other polls as we go. There is the Q&A function, which uh, you can use as we kind of go through um, the, the presentation tonight. And we will answer questions at the end until we can't answer questions anymore. Right, should we get started? Yeah, Ravi, what are the what are the poll um, answers looking like? Cool, about fifty percent up thirty to forties, twenty two percent forty to fifty, seventy percent own a home, twenty percent have an investment property, seventy percent have money in the share market, and where people found us. Um, pretty unsurprising results. Cool. All right. Thanks for that, Ravi. Look, off you go. Well, welcome in. You are watching, not listening. Usually we're listening to a Keep the Change podcast, but we're watching a Keep the Change webinar. Been a long time since we've done a webinar. And I've been speaking to James Blair from Lighthouse Financial quite a bit recently about what they're up to with clients, what they're working on, what they're seeing, what people are freaking out about. And I asked uh, if they would think about putting on a webinar for the Keep the Change audience. And James, Julie obliged him. We've got Ravi in the background helping out with a lot of the tech as well. So a big shout out to him. But tonight we're going to be learning about putting a financial plan together. I think in New Zealand, a lot of us think that this is uh, just for the rich and that's how they figure out how to only pay 9% tax uh, on their <laughs> economic income. But really, it doesn't need to be that complicated. And a lot of it comes back to principles. And I spotted James and the Lighthouse crew and saw that they were going into massive organizations across New Zealand. And they were asking them, could you please come and talk to our staff? 
and I don't want people to miss out on that either. So I asked James, could you give us some time to run us through what you were talking to people about out there? And he's gone above and beyond and created this presentation for us, as well as the sexy checklist that we can see on the screen. And all of these resources are going to be sent out to you so that you can go back and study them and implement them into your own financial journey as well. With all of that said, James, thank you as always for your time, mate. Let's rip into it and teach some people about financial planning. Awesome. Great. So before we jump into it, just a, a little bit and, you know, trying to talk too much about myself, Ravi may laugh at that. Um, so financial advice historically has really been, I'm going to sell you a mortgage. I'm going to sell you some insurance. I'm going to sell you some investment product. And then I'm going to click, click the ticket somehow. The way um, we give advice is so major, majority of the time we're a fee for service business. Um, and the reason we are that way is we're very focused on um, holistic financial planning. And holistic holistic financial planning is going, I'm not saying you go and buy some shares. I'm not saying you buy property. I'm not saying you pay down debt. First, we start with your goals and values and what's important to you, where you want to head in life. You only get to go around once. So what do you want your money to do for you? And fundamentally, money is about um, security and giving you the life you want, helping you live the life you want to live. And that's why our mission at Lighthouse is to help secure Kiwi's financial futures. So we have um, accountants, financial advisors, mortgage brokers, and insurance advisors at Lighthouse. And we believe in terms of securing your financial future, education plus action equals financial freedom. Now, education is tonight. It's the keep the change. It's all the great stuff that Luke is. I don't know when Luke sleeps. All the great stuff that Luke is doing. Um, but a really important thing is you can educate and you can think, but at some point you need to get on with the show and take small consistent steps over time. And one of my favorite sayings at the moment is people overestimate what they can do in six months and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. You need to be thinking long-term, not short-term. So I'm going to give away all my secrets tonight in terms of how I build a financial plan for our clients. And then we've got a checklist that I've built pretty much going, this is the kind of stuff that I do every day. Um, next slide, please, Ravi. Uh, this is our, our Vandy slide just going. We've done a lot of these presentations with, with some pretty big businesses. Um, surely we get the Keep the Change logo on, on, on here afterwards, Ravi, because you're pretty much a corporation at this point, aren't you, Luke? Um, and as a financial advisor, we have to have a disclaimer. So really important to note that this is not personalized advice. We're talking about general financial principles. When you come in the comment section and go, hey, I'm 30, my partner's 32, this is our incomes, this is our mortgage, what do we do? That is personalized advice. We will um, have a link at the end for you to book a one-on-one -on -one time and kind of talk about how we can help because the reality is I can give you all of the free stuff out there, but people will still want a financial advisor. I'll always have a job. Um, we're already oversubscribed as it is. And that's, and that's just because people want accountability and somebody to talk through these things with. Cool. So you want the blueprint? This is the blueprint. Um, and Luke, feel free to, feel free to jump in um, whenever you like. So in terms of building, um, so most people, when I talk about um, kind of your goals and where you want to go, most people want financial freedom. Financial freedom, um, a little bit of an Instagrammable term, considering Luke's a little bit, um, you know, loose with his language from time to time, I'll call it what it is. Financial freedom can be a little bit of a wanky term. Um, you, you, like, it's not, 
it's it's really all about going, you choose how you want to spend your time. Like you want to keep working. You love what you do. You want to do charity stuff. You want to reduce your hours. You want to spend time overseas. You have the control of how you want to spend your time long-term. The starting point to that, which we'll spend some time on upfront, is all about getting your house in order. So people want to start businesses, buy properties, set up shares, his portfolio. Tell me about your sexy Chinese EV stock that you've made a 300% return on. But it is all crap unless you have your house in order. So we're going to talk about all of the getting your house in order stuff first. It's probably important to touch on here, Luke, that we're not doing a full on how to pay down bad debts here. Yeah, I think it's important to make that distinction that, you know, tonight is a lot around financial prosperity and setting your own goals. And all of us, we've got individual goals. We come from different parts of the country. We want different things. We want to leave different things behind. We've got kids. We don't have kids, et cetera. Um, so we're not going to be touching on a lot of the basics of sort of, right, if you've got 20 grand credit card, here's what you need to be doing. There's countless pieces of content through Keep the Change and on the podcast where you can go and learn about that stuff. However, if that is your situation, I still think that it is very important to learn from people that are way ahead of you to inspire you and make you understand, wow, okay, it is possible so that you don't give up. Because the worst thing that we can do is actually start to tell ourselves and believe that the things that other people have in life, that those aren't possible for us. So just like this is a roadmap, you want to be looking at the footsteps that other people are leaving behind for you to be able to basically figure out how to navigate the rest of your life once you do get your house in order yeah yeah and like i said just build small consistent steps look forward so you can get excited about what's what's around the corner so once you've got the house in order then we talk about uh property property in new zealand is obviously very uh popular there is a very good reason why it's popular it's called leverage we will talk about it but there are some instances where property isn't the be all and all, which we'll talk about as well. We're going to talk about how diversifying into managed funds, KiwiSaver is important. And then we're going to talk about financial freedom down the line. And that links very much with your values and goals. So our approach to financial planning is very much focused on kind of current you versus future you. You really don't want to screw either of them over because it's probably not going to end well. Way too many people live in the moment, rack up debts, go on holidays, buy cars, live beyond their means, and they're completely screwing future you. I was talking to a lady um, maybe a month ago who was 72 and she'd already spent all of her retirement savings. You do not want to be that person once you realize that it is too late. Um, on the flip side, if you are really disciplined with your money, if you know that you're going to go like you're, you're on track to achieve your goals and maybe kind of go past your goals, there's a really interesting question around, should you slow down a little bit? And you're never going to be younger than you are now. Maybe you take more holidays. Maybe instead of you've just had a, a child, you don't go back to work straight away. You do reduced hours. Do you upgrade your home? Do you not upgrade your home? It's all about balance. And it's all about clarity. If I do something over here, what are the implications over here? If I spend more, what are the implications? If I spend less, what are the implications? And just having full clarity over your, your future. Just on that, James, I think a, a really important piece is around you know, saving for retirement. There was a really sad news story on Sunday when it was talking and interviewing people who had got to 65 or got to their retirement 
and they either didn't have a property to live in. They were basically again back to sort of living week to week. Um, and it was it was a shining a spotlight on the hardship that people go through when they get to 65. And there was a bloke who was really inspiring to me. He was 82 and he was still working. And he's like, you know, I, I love it. And it allows me to put things on my table that I want. Um, but, you know, you, you need to reverse engineer your plan so that you can make the choices that you want in the future. And for me, you know, I had a revelation only last year, and it should have happened for me faster, that basically the amount that I was putting into KiwiSaver wasn't actually getting me anywhere close to the amount that I thought it was going to be at 65. And I had to basically either suck up that A, um, that is what it is, or B, now that I have that information, I need to increase my contribution. And so, you know, that's what I needed to do. But back to the show on Sunday, there was a lady and she said in the show, she said, I can't remember the exact words, but basically, you know, I, I've worked my entire life and this is how I get treated. And I think it's really important for all of us to remember that the way that our retirement isn't taken seriously and our future isn't taken seriously in this country is that yeah, you can work your whole life and you can get to 65 and still have nothing. Um, and you can get there and think that it may be a lot different and that the pension might be thousands of dollars every week, but it's just not actually the case. And so I think it's really wise to go and watch those people's stories. And often as much as we can use where we'd love to be in the future um, as inspiration, sometimes we want to get a wake up call for ourselves too. If I, if I keep going down this path of making the, the wrong decisions, then now that I know that, I've kind of only really got myself to blame a little bit. So we don't want to get to 65 and be surprised at the lifestyle we're living. We want to try and get there and, and realize like, wow, I, I built this. And this was come from the sacrifice of the now that my future self gets to benefit from. There's, there's so much good stuff in what you just said, Luke. Um, one, of, one of the things you said in there around the pension. So when we're doing projections for our clients, we assume if you're um, under 50, you won't get New Zealand superannuation. And I get really surprised when, you know, like sometimes there's protests and stuff with there's like a movement overseas to increase the pension from 65 to 67 or whatever. Like, what what are you expecting to happen long, long term? There's just not going to be, I mean, you know where kind of the world population is going. There's not going to be enough young people to pop up the old, prop up the oldies in retirement. The reality is if you're under 50, you're going to have to sort out your own retirement. And if you don't, it's going to be worse than New Zealand superannuation. It's going to be like the doll. Um, and you're not, you know, you don't, you don't want that. Um, the other thing you said, Luke, which was quite interesting is you said reverse engineer. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really important is if I say you need to save $2 million to have an income of a hundred thousand dollars a year in retirement, it's like $2 million. Like, ah, where am I going to find that from? But if you break that down into your fortnightly pays and kind of what actions you can take, um, time is everybody's biggest asset. I'll say it again. It's amazing what you can do over 10 years. Yeah, especially if you get started on these journeys in your 20s um, or straight out of school and don't piss around till you're about 28, 29 like I was. But anyway, yeah, yeah. And, for, and, for, and for those who are listening and go, well, I'm in my 50s, um, yeah, I mean, would have been great to do it earlier, but playing the hindsight game of like, I shouldn't have sold this property or I should have done this or whatever. 
It's not going to do anything for you. You're not going to end up in any other better position. You need to focus on the situation you're in, the like what you have in terms of control and make the most of the time you have. If you've got five years, you make the most of the five years. If you've got 10, 15 years, whatever, like you can do, I've, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this for more than 10 years and I've seen some crazy things from people that really want to sort, sort themselves out. Um, one of the biggest fundamentals in terms of creating wealth is around budgeting. Everybody wants everything now, but the reality is you need to know where your money is going and be putting some of your money towards future you. If you all of your money goes towards um, current you, there's going to be nothing, nothing for the future. So, and the other bit with this as well, Luke, which I've been banging on a bit more about is if you earn $50,000 a year and you've got big, you know, plans for your career in the future, say you're going to earn half a million dollars at one point, what makes you think you can manage half a million dollars a year if you can't manage 50 grand a year now? Um, so that's why the good fundamentals around budgeting are really important. Yeah, I see that all the time with business owners who increase their incomes because their business starts going better and often they'll have just as little left over at the end of the big year as they did in the years without skimping. And I know that, you know, I've had times like that too where your lifestyle starts creeping, creeping up on you. And, you know, I think you guys do some important work in podcasts around basically how you can have a high income, but you can still have nothing to show for it. Well, what's what's the point? Is it actually really worth that stress? So you've got to make sure you do something with the money that you are earning. Yeah, and if it go, comes in and it goes out, you're on the treadmill of life and you will never have options to your future. You will always be tied to your income. So as like a really good starting point, um, and as this funnel shows, income comes in, but income doesn't mean anything. Um, it's about what's left over at the end. So you've got your income that comes in, you've got your everyday living costs. That's more like your fixed expenses. If you don't know your fixed expenses, write them down and work it out as a percentage of your income. It's really, it's, and everybody's situation is different. Is your is your expenses 30% of your income or 60% of your income? Just having like full clarity of where your money is going. Your budget has to be sustainable. So you've got to have some fun. You've got to enjoy yourself. Maybe you save, you know, Budgeting is not about living on rice and beans. It's really not about missing out. It's about clarity. So if I annualize that you spend $20,000 a year on dinners out, but you go, well, I really enjoy that time with my spouse and I get a lot of value and um, I, I spend money here, but I'm very cautious here, then that's fine. It, budgeting is just making sure that frivolous crap that you don't get any value out of that you cut out. Um, and then so clarity of your, your fixed expenses, having fun, and then there's an amount left over. And that amount left over is the only thing that's helping future you to achieve your goals. So that's like the example, I need $2 million to retire. If I have this amount and I do this plan over this period of time, am I on track to achieve my goal? So as I said, Ravi, just kind of jumping back quickly, um, income isn't everything. The budget needs to be sustainable. Luke mentioned lifestyle creep. Before you get a pay rise, you should um, set up, update your automatic payments so you don't even get used to the pay rise. It's crazy if you get a pay rise and don't change things and think you'll change them later. If you And it's kind of like a business as well, right, Luke? If you leave money in a business, money will always find a purpose. There will always be something to be spent on. Yeah, even 
recently for me, now that I've been able to save a bit of money and put it into term deposit pie funds and then get that money each month, it covers my power bill and then it's covering a little bit more. And when I go to do my budget, I realize like, oh, wow, I haven't previously, because interest rates have been so low, included that income, but I have my power cost going out. Now I've actually got that money there. Now, what am I going to do with that? And probably just spend it if I'm not aware of it. Then I'm like, okay, maybe I should set up an automatic payment to just reinvest that money somewhere else or put it into my KiwiSaver or put it into sharesies or, or stack it into cash. Because otherwise, I probably just realize like, oh, it feels like I've got more money in my account. Sweet, another dinner or or whatever. Oh, yeah, I'll get this round, fellas. Yeah, definitely. So there's a thousand different ways to budget. Um, it's kind of like fitness and um and nutrition it's about whatever whatever way suits you we've got the full mason jars approach that we implement with our customers so every fortnight when you get paid you have you should have automatic payments you've got money going to an emergency fund money going over your fixed expenses money going to your fund account money going to your savings account when you get paid it just automatically gets split and you don't need to think about it if you can't manage your money in 10 minutes a week you are you are doing it wrong so you should be thinking about splitting up the money into the different jars or into the bank, different bank accounts. And then, especially with the fixed expenses, try and set up as many automatic payments as you can off the back of it. Automatic payments are your best friend. If any, everything works like clockwork, then you, know, you don't have to spend your time thinking about money. Cool. So debt. I know, Luke, you've probably done quite a bit of stuff around debt. There's, there's good debts and bad debts, which are really important to understand. So if you get a car loan, I mean, I just don't get it. I don't like, yeah, I mean, there are situations where maybe you have to use it because you've got no other choice, but buying, like spending money on stuff that's going to go down in value or um, like kind of money money you haven't saved things for, um, they're all considered bad debts. You might look at that and go, hold up, you've got your owner-occupied mortgage as a bad debt. Now, it's not a bad debt. Um, however, the mortgage you have in your home is not getting you anywhere. It's creating equity, and you can do something with that equity if you want, but you have to clear your mortgage before, like just being debt-free at 65 is not enough. Having a debt-free home doesn't really do anything for you. Bringing your home to debt-free then gives you the ability to look at investing and building wealth that will actually pay you an income over time. When it comes to good debt, a lot of people are scared of investment property, like in terms of the mortgages. It's not about how much debt you carry. It's about, and, and where most people are getting in trouble, is people plan their life off 2% interest rates or at 7% interest rates and they can't handle the cash flow. Really debt, either good or bad, is really just understanding the cash flow implications opposed to the number. So what are the, what are the expenses looking like? Can you top it up? Um, business debt, is that helping you get ahead in life? And obviously student loans can be good debt but if you do a philosophy degree and don't do philosophy afterwards, that might not be a good debt necessarily. I think when you look at it like this, how you guys put this slide together, if you think about afterpay, credit cards, car loans, like those are our first real, um, yeah, our first real crack at debt. And so we get given the shit debt to start with, and it usually stops us from then taking on the good debt. So 
you know, oh, can't start a business because I've got to pay off my, you know, mortgage first or how would I have income? And these things sort of slow us down or um, we'd love to change jobs or move cities, but I can't because I'm actually, I got to keep my um, income coming in to pay my car loan. Why don't you just sell the car? Oh, well, I can't now because it's worth less and I'm still going to end up with debt. But it's like the, the, the bad debt, the cheap debt, the easy to get debt is the gateway stuff. But it seems so accessible and that it's harmless, but then it actually slows us down from doing these way bigger things in the future. And I was the same, like, you know, a big credit card and then finally sort of my shit out and was like, okay, I'll pay this off. And all that meant is that I couldn't, I couldn't invest and I couldn't buy zero shares, A2 milk shares, contribute to my KiwiSaver. And, and I was basically going back to the earlier slide looking after now Luke rather than future Luke um, because I was tidying up the decisions that I'd already made to have a good time in the here and now uh, rather than actually using good debt in the future. The other screwed up thing in terms of debt is they get you at an early age where you don't understand. So I remember my friend uh, Tim Wilson went to school with 18 years old. He comes to me and he goes, the bank gave me a free thousand dollars, James. And I'm like, my guy, that's a student overdraft. He goes, oh, I go, he goes, do I have to pay that back? I'm like, yep. And I go, Tim, you've already spent it, haven't you? And he goes, maybe. Um, and, and, and that example with Tim is not unusual, right? There are so many people with those student loans. I mean, I got that. I'd like a, throughout all of university, I was carrying like pretty much a maxed out two grand overdraft the whole time. Um, yeah, you like you need to, and then they go, oh, why not have a credit card with it as well? It's that's why the education stuff's so important. Cool. Okay, so we spoke a bit around taking small, consistent steps over time, and a really good example is I think we like seventy percent of you have a mortgage on your own, um, have a home. I assume most of you have a mortgage. Say you've got a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage. And your minimum mortgage repayments at 6% are $830 um, a week. If you look at the budget and kind of go, well, we've been spending some money on things that we don't actually find that much value in. Um, we've got an extra $200 a week in our budget. If you took that $200 a week and put it on your mortgage, you would pay off your mortgage 10 years faster. So you cut the time down buy a third. So instead of being debt-free at 60, you're debt-free at 50. And that's just $200 a week and small, consistent steps. Now, if you're not impressed by clearing your mortgage 10 years faster with an extra $200 a week, um, let's say you're debt-free, then you've got those mortgage repayments and you can contribute those mortgage repayments to a managed fund for another 10 years. So in the first scenario, you're just making the minimum mortgage repayments over 30 years, and you finally got a debt-free home. In the second scenario, you switched on, you're saving a bit more money, you're paying down your mortgage faster. You would have $650,000 in that managed fund. So you're 650 grand better off in, 10, um, in the same period just by putting extra $200 a week. And that's like a super basic scenario. That's not talking about investment property or doing anything particularly smart. That's just like more money on the mortgage. I've got my mortgage repayments and then I go do something else. And if you say to me, James, I don't have an extra $200 a week spare. You're missing the point. It's not about like you, you do with, uh, with what you have. 
So maybe you only have $50 spare a week now and you're putting that towards the mortgage. Then maybe you get a pay rise and they can go to 100 and then it can go up and 150. We're talking about like 30 years here, right? It's the small consistent steps that will make huge differences. Yeah, that's really powerful, mate. And I think you raise a good point. Like I'd imagine most people watching this, they're, they're not, I mean, naturally will default into, but I don't have a spare $200 a week. But remember your situation now, what your brain's telling you is not actually what your reality has to be. So with what James has just shown us, is basically like the first thing I would do would be brainstorming. How can I pay off an extra $200 a week off of my mortgage? And then you go into trying to find solutions. and that the bank want you to keep this loan for 30 years. Of course they yep. do. It's their product. You know, it's brilliant. You're a home run. They want you to quit. They want you to give up on thinking that you could do it faster. They're like, yeah, you. why should you have to make an extra $200 a week? That's ridiculous. You know, come on, just pay it over the 30 years. Why don't, why don't you get that, that Tesla you've always wanted, Luke? Why don't you chuck it on the mortgage? No worries. That's what they'll yeah. say to you. Borrowed over 30 years. You've always been a good customer. You're one of our best customers. You've funded <laughs> a lot of our bonuses internally as well. So yeah. challenge yourself, like challenge yourself to become a better version of your financial self. And this just shows how powerful that can actually be over a 30-year window. So you can take what was a 30-year loan to get your home, which we know that most people will then want to leave at some stage anyway, but now turn it into, right, I can pay it off in 20 years, but also have over 650K stacked uh, in an investment that's then going to be able to generate you returns in the future too, I'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. And then if you're thinking as well, like once again, we forget that bad times don't last forever. Recessions don't last forever. Just like we forget good times don't last forever. If you're feeling a bit down about the current environment and struggling to think long-term, just remember we're 18 months through a tricky period. It will not last forever. There are already signs that things are getting better. Inflation is slowly starting to dip a little bit. Interest rates will change. The Reserve Bank has um, slightly loosened up um, borrowing ability that there's going to be a recession every five years for the rest of your life. That's statistically what is likely to happen. And if you make decisions based on what's happening in the world, opposed to what's happening in your life, you know, say you've got um, somebody on parental leave and you don't have spare cash flow, you know, of course you're not going to do something now, but in two years time, you'll be in a position to do something again. So it's not about like, you just got to forget about what's happening in the world and go what's happening in my world. What are my goals during good times or bad times? I'm taking consistent steps towards those goals. And then if you're in a position right now, for example, to take big steps forward, to contribute to shares, buy your first home, buy an investment property, there are people, I promise you, we will look back at these people who made decisions now and go, boy, didn't you get so lucky? But you didn't get lucky. You went against the grain when everybody was telling you kind of hide under your bed. You made a decision thinking of the long term, not the short term, because, you know, you just take the law of averages over time. Yeah, love it. Love it. Bring it on. So speaking of the law of averages, I've got a study for you. Um, so everybody talks to me, James, is now a good time to invest? What should I be doing? Should I be dollar cost averaging? Should I be trying to time the market? I might wait, wait another six months until I buy. This is to do with the um, S&P 500, this study, but it applies to all aspects of investing. It's all about principles. Um, 
Um, so this was a study done from the year 2000 to the year 2020. And so you had $2,000 to invest every year over 20 years. We've got five different investing styles. So I'll quickly run you through the styles. Peter Perfect picks the lowest point every year to invest his $2,000 over 20 years, which is incredibly unlikely and obviously the best time to invest when markets are low. Ashley Action invests on the first trading day of every year. She doesn't muck around, and that's why I love it, Ashley. Matthew Monthly, very serious accountant, divides his $2,000 into 12 equal portions. So that's dollar cost averaging. That's what you're doing with your KiwiSaver. You get paid every paycheck, and a bit goes towards your KiwiSaver. You're kind of dribbling it in over time. Rosie Rotten is just as unlikely to happen as Peter Perfect. She's picked the highest point every year to invest, which is the worst time. And old mate Larry Linger goes, you know what? I reckon there's always, you know, I'm going to wait another three months until I invest. And then it goes up and he goes, oh, I'm going to wait until it goes down. And Larry just stays in cash forever. So we've got a poll. Who do you think got the best results over the 20 years? Peter Perfect, Ashley Action, Matthew Monthly, Rosie Rotten, or Old Mate Larry? It's interesting with this poll as well that um, I think a lot of people think it's a trick question, but it's not a trick question. Okay, Ravi, let's keep this train moving. What have we got in the results? Matthew Monthly. So Matthew Monthly, 52% of people think dollar cost averaging is the best result. Um, it's not a trick question. As I said, Peter Perfect is perfect for a reason. He ends up with the most amount of money because he picked the best time to invest 20 years in a row. Um, it's unlike, like, it's just impossible to have any, you know, Peter Perfect doesn't exist. So there's some really interesting thing with these results over 20 years. So um, Peter Perfect, unsurprisingly, the best result. About $15,000 less, we've got um, Ashley Action and Dollar Cost Averaging, where they're just getting on with the show or they've got a plan where they're regularly contributing. Really interesting, Rosie Rotten with bad timing. So you would have thought if you picked the worst time to invest 20 years in a row, you probably didn't end up with a, a good track record. But the thing is, if you pick the worst time to invest 20 years ago, that's a beautiful time to invest. I mean, if you could have bought a house 20 years ago, but you bought it at the peak of the market for that year, you're still very happy right now that you bought your $2 million house in Point Chev for $300,000, right? So bad decisions, as long as it's not like in a direct thing that will fall over, as long as it's diversified, bad decisions get um, fixed over time with, um, yeah, get fixed over time. But Luke, my, and I, I saw a comment and they're going Luke Linger. Um, we might have to update this, update this slide. Um, hey, uh, just taken out of me on my own webinar. <laughs> um, my purpose in life is to save the Larry Lingers of the world. And that's because if you're a good saver, you have to save three times as much as everybody else who got their money to work. Compounding returns are the greatest force in the financial universe. You know, you not, might not be feeling that bullish about your KiwiSaver or your shares at the moment, but the reality is, you know, cash at 2, 3% over the long term versus the share market 10%, you have to save so much more to get in the same position. 
yeah, I always find that those Luke Linger type people, the only real good return that they get is when everyone else gets beaten up because the market has a, a flash crash or something. And they're like, oh, told you, told you that's a bad thing to do. Oh, that's why I don't do that. And you're like, yeah, but you still don't actually do anything. So what, what yeah. do you mean? Yeah, yeah. And the other bit with kind of the environment we're in at the moment, right? 18 months of pain, 18 months of down markets. If you stick to your plan, like your KiwiSaver is a perfect example. No one's KiwiSaver has gone up in value in 18 months. You've been buying and regularly contributing in a, in a market going backwards. The returns people will see and the jump in KiwiSaver values over the next couple of years is going to be insane because you're going to get, you always get rewarded for being patient in a bad market. It just sucks having to suck it up and go through it. The other, just to take this to like a business aspect that I talk to clients about all the time is doing some form of marketing when they've got a small business and it might be around email marketing or some sort of socials. And they're like, oh, no, I don't really need to do that. I haven't had to do it in the past. Oh, no one's really interested in my stuff. But as soon as they run out of work, there's always this like, oh, um, and at the moment, I've never seen more cold emails. Um, hey, Luke, you know, let's go for a coffee. I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm fucking flat stick. You know, I've been going nuts for the last three years and I can't I can't turn down enough coffee meetings at the moment. I, I don't want to have coffee with you to find out that you would like to use my audience to get some work because you haven't been doing the small steps along the time that you should have been. It's really, really fascinating. So I think it's not just with our finances. I think it's like habits that we put ourselves into and, and we have to be careful with them. And as always, winners end up winning. Definitely. Okay, so we're getting on to the investing portion of the um, webinar. So high level, first, we really need to be thinking about our goals for the future. What's important to us? What do we value as a household? What do we want to do in the short term, medium term, long term? Second bit's about getting the house in order, making sure we've got a really good... Um, <laughs> people ask if you want a coffee, Luke. Um, if... if uh, you want to focus, you need to focus on your budget. You need to focus on paying off bad debts then you need to be looking at paying off the mortgage and those sort of things. Then there's always a common question about, James, should I invest in shares or should I invest into property? Now, the first thing I would say, anybody who has, and I should be careful because it's going to be specific advice. Um, anybody who has a shares portfolio and a mortgage, you're wasting your time. So if you have a mortgage on your own home and you're paying a 7% interest rate and you're a wizard investor and you're making a 10% return, the 10% return in shares might sound pretty good, but then you take off fees, you're at nine, you take off tax, you're at six, then you take off inflation because you're not spending the money now, you're at 3%. You're more than two times better off to focus on paying off your mortgage before you contribute to shares. And I'd love to see some data from sharesies around. I mean, they won't have it, but I wonder what percentage of share uh, sharesies investors also have a mortgage. Now, We've got a case study around shares versus property. So let's say you had $140,000 and you could make a 6% return after fees and tax. Or you could take that $140,000, buy an investment property with a 20% deposit so you could buy a $700,000 um, property. But because interest rates are at 7%, there's no properties unless you're buying in Gizzy um, where it's covering its own costs. So let's say you had to top it up $15,000 a year to cover some interest costs, rates, insurance, all those kind of things. 
If we look at the results, per annum on that $140,000, you'd make about $8,000 a year in shares as a return. On the property, you would make a $20,000 return per annum. So you're essentially putting, you've got your initial capital and then it's costing you $15,000 a year to top it up and you're making $20,000 in capital gains over the long term. So in terms of pound for pound shares versus property, um, property is a better asset um, and it's all to do with leverage. Like if you just quickly jump back to the previous slide, Ravi, if you look at the, the, real the real return, you've got a higher return for shares than property. So 6% versus 5%, right? Shares are also a better investment because, I mean, prop property in New Zealand is fundamentally investing in a small island nation in one house, um, opposed to being diversified into lots of different companies and um, into bonds and commercial property and a whole range of different things. Um, shares are a better asset. The difference is opposed to with shares, you've got $140,000 investment with the property. You've taken your 140 grand, you've borrowed money from the bank and you've got a $700,000 um, asset. So that's why property is quite an attractive vehicle to grow your wealth. So you're using the bank's money to make more money because they've got, uh, well, you've basically used their money to the in order to do that. And then obviously this is, over, over time when house prices continue to go up or it has been in history and we're zooming out from kind of the current environment we're in. Correct. And, and I mean, there's bargains. I mean, in all aspects of life, really, there's bargains. But if, if for those who go, well, I don't really understand how leverage works. Let's say you've got a million dollar home. The bank will want you to have... Um, minimum 20% equity in your home. So you can only have up to an $800,000 um, mortgage. But let's say your mortgage is $600,000. That means you've got $200,000 of what we call usable equity. So usable equity is the bank going, look, we're happy, happy with kind of the amount of debt you've got compared to um, the value of your home. If you wanted, you could take this $200,000 and go and do something with it. So in this scenario, you could go and buy a million dollar property where the value of your home going up in value doesn't really matter because you need somewhere to live. But if you buy an investment property and you buy a million dollar property and over 15 years at a 5% capital gain, it becomes a $2 million property. So you're 35 now at 50, you've got a, a million bucks. If you sell that, put into a managed fund, it can create you an income stream over the rest of your life. So that's how leverage works and is a really important tool to understand to to grow your wealth you need to yeah if you can borrow money from somebody else and you understand the math of whether you can service it or not um, a very attractive tool i think this is the really important concept for people to understand because that that piece the usable equity right and that's where you touch on earlier and i made a video recently if you just want to be mortgage-free by the time you get to 65, then you basically from there, all you've got is free living and the pension, which is sweet. But as soon as there's a hole in your roof, your pension for the year is probably blitzed. Huh. Um, so you've got to be very careful with, with that. And that's where along the way, you've then got to go, okay, how can I use some of this equity to be able to turn it into more? And that brings us to basically the exact strategy that our 9% tax paying friends that are in the media 
uh, are using at the moment where their assets are going up in value. And so we're saying, well, they've got higher incomes because they're in the report counting that as income. But unless you actually go and use that equity through asset inflation by borrowing against it to then go and buy a vehicle or to buy another property or to pay for your grocery bills or, or whatever, then you don't actually have access to that cash. So this is a, a really, really important subject and topic that isn't taught well in schools. But I think why property is so favoured is that uh, this works in property and also people will start to make sense of it once they know somebody who's got more than one home and they go, well, how, how do you have more than one home? And then they start to understand uh, equity. So if you don't understand leverage and equity, then you want to be listening to podcasts with people that have multiple homes or that have gone down the route of residential investment property, et cetera. Uh, but you can also use leverage, for instance, with shares. So you can there are specific shares that ASB, for instance, will let you borrow against, but it'll be a lot less rate than a property. But it's, again, another chapter you have to learn. And it's also very dangerous because if that stock goes down quickly, they're going to say, well, you know, you can't borrow as much or give us that money back. And if you can't, then you start getting in trouble. So there are other ways to use equity other than just property. But whatever your sort of chosen field is, you've got to go and you've got to learn about that. You probably want to learn from people that have done it and been successful in it because they've mitigated the downside risk in that space. Yeah. And the other obvious one is starting a business, right? You got equity in your home. You need some capital up front to, I mean, say you're a plumbing business to um, buy the right equipment, buy you, um, pay for some pay for some staff while you're getting going. Um, it's not about borrowing the money. It's about what you use that money for. And the other piece with this, which I see in the comment section, is like with a property, you hold that if it's a new build past five years, existing property past 10 years, there's no capital gains tax on it, which is coming back to the, the rich aren't paying their share. It's just the system. Like, And if you want to change the system, that's cool, but taxing more people ain't going to change your life at all. Mm, that's right. You've still got to make decisions yourself to, to change and to figure out uh, yeah. how you're make whatever your situation into the best it can be yeah now Ravi, just jump back one more back one slide so this one took i want to have a balanced conversation about property versus shares because this might sound a little bit pro property so far so when you come so property is a really good vehicle to grow your wealth and create like wealth on paper while you have an income so you've got an income you're able to pay your bills and you've got some assets that are growing up in value when you need an income Generally speaking, in nine times out of 10 cases, property is a crappy asset to provide you with an income. Even if you have a debt-free home, you take off um, all, of the, all of the costs associated with the property and tax, and you're, you're, you're not going, you're not going any, anywhere. Um, if you have managed funds, that's where managed funds, index funds are very attractive in comparison, that opposed to property with managed funds, you can easily draw like a 5% income after tax. Plus you can um, you can have the option to deplete your capital over time. You can't sell a bedroom to go on a holiday with a property, right? It's a very fixed asset. So property is great to grow your wealth over time, but um, managed funds and shares, once you want income in the future, that's where the game is. 
Yeah, and on that, you know, my mum, for instance, she has a mortgage-free home and the pension, and that's that's her. And she can live quite close to fitting into that, and she goes without sometimes, but that's the decision that she's made, and she makes that work for herself. But every now and then, I get a message, oh, the gardens are so overrun, and it's a pain in the ass, and I'm, you know, going to have to let go of a couple of hundred bucks to, to let this person sort it, or, oh, I'm getting this insulation done. Um, and, and there's costs that keep coming with these, and I say, well, Mum, remember that this is still an asset that can generate income for you. You just need to leave the property and let someone else pay you money to be in there or perhaps get a border for a couple of hundred bucks a week. Oh, but I don't want someone to live with me. Okay, well, you're not going to get the $200 a week. So, you know, you. I think we all dream of having this freehold home at 65 and think that everything's just close to the finish line from there, but there will always still be, be hurdles. And like you say, unless you go and partition off one of the bedrooms to get some income coming in or try and sell the garage off the back or something, then it's pretty hard to free up cash. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, I mean, money is fundamentally not very magical that you've got to do all the basics. You've got to decide between shares, property and business, how you're going to grow your wealth. Cause they're the three, um, the three main vehicles to grow your wealth. Um, then every I lose everybody here talking about protecting your wealth. So there are some really important fundamentals you need to make sure you get right. Cause geez, I have some depressing conversations where people don't think about this stuff. Um, tip number one, emergency fund. You've got to have three months of expenses in a savings account. Uh, you've got to make sure it's available, that it's liquid because life's going to go wrong at some point. You're going to have to fix your car fix the roof, you're going to have to fly overseas to see a sick relative, whatever, you need cash. And it also gives you a little bit of confidence. Um, for those who have read the Barefoot Investor, a little bit of mojo is what they refer to it as. Short-term goals. If you've got a goal under three years, like you want to buy a home, for example, or buy a car or whatever, um, you should be leaving that money in cash. If you are investing into shares or crypto or anything like that, with under three years to invest, we call that gambling. You do not know the outcome within three years. About 50% of Kiwis have a will, which I'm very big on when we're doing financial plans. You just got to have a will. It's just irresponsible not to have a will if you got stuff going on. Um, when it comes to insurances in general, um, people go to me, oh, James, I, you know, it's a waste of money. I'm paying for something. I'm never going to claim on it. I've spoken to three people in the last month who've been diagnosed with terminal cancer and the conversations when you don't have the right levels of insurance, uh, well, your wife's probably going to have to sell the home and she's going to have to rent and we're going to do the best we can with the situation we've got or whatever. Um, if you get sick and can't work and you don't have income protection, it gets really gnarly as well. It's, it's not about, is this a good investment? Because you hope it's a, like a waste of money. If, if it's a great investment, it's not worked out well for you. So having a good um, protection strategy for your wealth is super important just to save me from people coming and talking to me because those I can't tell you, Luke, those conversations suck. They are just like, and, and it's not me that's having to go through it, but it, it's still, yeah, it's just miserable. Yeah, I can only imagine, mate. I used to have some tough conversations 
with clients separating from their partners um, down when I worked in the NAC and stuff, and you're basically there, I, I would say, should I need a counseling degree to, to try to navigate some of the concepts? <laughs> but um, yeah, I think as well on the short-term goals piece here, if you're thinking about buying a home and using your KiwiSaver and you want to do that in the next few years, you don't want to be gambling with your KiwiSaver in the market either, uh, because then potentially you get eroded through a market crash and now you can't buy your property. So you want to be thinking about that too. Um, having a will, yeah, I recently got mine uh, updated. And the other thing about insurance is I heard someone say to me, I'm really glad that I've got health insurance because I don't know, but have you seen the state of the New Zealand public health system? And that is one place I try to avoid. So I don't know, but I think you can have a quick Google and look at what they're trying to do in that space um, and see our doctors and nurses and stuff frustrated by the people that are on wait lists and stuff. And, and you, everyone will have one of those stories. Probably a good reason if you can afford it to have some sort of insurance that you don't need to be waiting six months to see a specialist um, and, and you can actually pay for it. And I think that's the... The thing when you start to make a bit more money or have access to money, it gives you choices. And personal story for me recently, I went and got a script to get a blood test done. And I was speaking to someone and they said, oh, you do realize that in New Zealand, we don't test for a whole heap of different things, right? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, well, you need to get a different script and basically you'll need to pay for these different blood tests yourself. So basically this cost me a stack of money, uh, but I could afford to do it, which is fine. But basically, we only, when you test blood in this country, we only test uh, certain things that are quite normal to test. But if you want other things done, you actually have to then pay for that and get that done yourself. But you'll need a script to be able to do that. So, you know, I think people think that, oh, you start making more money and then you've just got all this cash, just do whatever you want and you just blow it all. But then you start opening these other levels of, oh, maybe I should have this insurance or maybe I should actually get that health check done that I didn't even really realize I could get access to. And that's the the whole point of money as a tool, nothing more, nothing less. And then it gives you the ability to use that tool to do the things that you actually want to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and on the health insurance, there was something in the news the other day about somebody got given six weeks to live and the public health system said, no worries, we can see you in 12 weeks. Um, so that's just a, a little example. I, I know we didn't come here to um, kind of bang on too much about it. The only other thing I'll say is um, insurance advisors. So the more insurance they sell you, the more money they get paid. So there is a mad conflict with insurance advisors. Um, you should get advice from insurance to make sure you get the right cover. And there's lots of good ones. My, my whole point is you don't need some sort of gold plated insurance product if your budget doesn't allow for it. And it's not everything or nothing. If you only have, if they're saying you need $200 a week of insurance and you can only afford 50 bucks, I bet your family would be much happier with $200,000 of life insurance than nothing. And the other thing with all of this stuff as well is you need to update it. So as you create wealth over time, you need less insurance. And a lot of people like put it in place and set and forget. Mm. Cool. Um, the other bit around financial plan and why most people hire a financial advisor is it's two reasons. One is like our projection software. The second is kind of the, the knowledge of seeing a hundred people in their situation. And these are the things you can do. The third bits around accountability. So, you know, fundamentally we're humans and we are motivated at a point in time, but then life changes. Um, we get distracted. Um, whether it's a financial advisor or accountability in some other 
some other source. You need to make sure you've got you're accountable to someone for your goals. Ideally, not your spouse. I don't know if a mate can do it, um, but you need to have some level of accountability to make sure you stay on track because there'll be times in life where, especially in the shorter term before, like you'll see over five years how much momentum you can be build. But in the shorter term, you may oh this isn't this isn't worth it. I'm going to go out for dinner and spend all my money. Um, so you need to have that accountability to make sure you stay on track. Cool. Okay. I'm a little bit scared of this slide because there's a lot of people on this call. Um, so essentially, I'm going to give you all the answers. I'm going to send you a checklist after this being like, this is how to build your own financial plan. But the reality is people are time poor. People want expertise. People want um, access to like our projection um, software and all that kind of stuff to kind of really map it out. If you do want to have a chat about your situation, there'll be a QR code, the QR code here, and a link to a calendar to talk to one of the financial advisors at, um, at Lighthouse. And we don't, I mean, the whole thing with these webinars and all that kind of stuff is we're all education, education first. And when you read to have a chat with somebody where we're here to talk. Nice, mate. Some really good nuggets in there. And I've seen the um, software that you use to help project out people's, um, you know, wealth and then get them a strategy to basically start to sell down on the other side and all those sorts of things as well. So, yeah, really, really important and impressive. And I think it's one of these things where our life's always changing. So it's good to remember that these things exist because we might come into an inheritance or our life can can completely change um, pretty quickly at times or you know might end up with a higher level of income what do we actually do with that let's not just blow it so like you say um good to be continuously thinking about these things and making subtle choices that are going to reward future us rather than just current us yeah but at the same time all about balance as well right um cool are we gonna do some q a let's do it i think there's a few questions lined up there uh, Ravi, do you want me to read those out? Is that the uh, the way to do it? Yeah, yeah, you can just read them out and might be worth just going through some of the questions in the chat too. Cool. Uh, I'm just in the yeah, Q&A. So I think some of these things will probably be a bit too individual, so we may not be able to answer them. But yes, there will be a recording that goes out tonight. That's cool. Uh, there was a question. What's the most frequently asked question people ask around this? I don't know what that was about. That was a 10 to 7, so not entirely sure. Uh, someone said, Luke, you mentioned putting your money back into shares. What do people need to look for when trying to invest and manage funds, ETS, et cetera, and get the returns? But for me, I just try to keep it simple and invest into things that I have some understanding about. So that's how I do it. And then I know that I can only hold myself accountable or blame myself if things don't go right. Um, and usually it's just a blend of New Zealand businesses that I high, at a high level ask myself, do I think this business is going to survive this recession, the next one, and the one after that? And if it is, that gives me some comfort that, hey, this could be, uh, you know, something for me to invest in and, and I will do that. So uh, I'm not a magician when it comes to investing, but that's how I go about uh, some of those decisions. Someone also says, how do you mean that student debt is good debt? So James, that comes back to your slide where you had student debt is good debt, but you had an asterisk on there. And I don't think we explained what that asterisk is about. 
Yeah, so it, it depends what you do with this, the, um, the degree, right? If you kind of get a degree that increases your income, you pay down the debt, and then you've got an income for a far longer period of time, that's a good debt because it's incre in increasing your earning ability long-term. But if it takes you six years to do a BCom degree and then you don't really do anything off the back of it and you've taken all the student loan repayments and you've got a stack of debt and it hasn't put you anywhere, I'd say that's a bad debt. Yeah, or the um, living costs that you take because you you think, oh, they're interest-free and I'll be able to use them to buy a deposit on my property. And that's what the 0.1% of people actually end up being able to do. Uh, but then you go and blow it on um, espresso martinis at the bar uh, and don't end up having that to use that for that deposit and you've got to pay that back. And I've seen uh, people get into business, younger people, and then start doing well and then realize the chunks of money that they have to pay back against their student loan. And they're like, oh my God, that is a lot of money. And that 12% can feel like a lot for people. So, you know, I think we're pretty big in New Zealand to push people into education and that's fine. It's worked for a lot of us. Um, but it's, you know, it can also be a bit of a burden for a lot of people too. So just be smart with that debt. Uh, this one's probably directed at me because it says financial advice. Well, also you, James, financial advisors uh, often say don't buy a car on finance because the car will drop in value. However, if you buy a Tesla like Luke and your total cost of ownership is so much lower and you are saving $7,000 a year on petrol, why would you not get an electric car? In five years, once you've paid it off, you'll be driving around for free. Sorry for the long question. <laughs> Do you want to tackle that, mate? Or well, I guess that's just an each to their own, right? Like It's just math. It's just... The other thing in terms of I've spoken to a hundred people where they justify to me why a car loan is a good idea. And, you know, if you can do the math and you can feel comfortable with it and it, it's really about does doing the thing now impact your ability to achieve your long-term goals. And if you like people go, oh, I'm worried about borrowing money to buy a car or, or go on a holiday or whatever. It's my experience is it's not to do with, a big one-off lump sum payment. It's about what you do every fortnight. And if you spend money one-off on something like a car, but your your discipline each fortnight is really good, over the long term, it won't really matter. Nice. Um, here's one. Hi, team. If I get a pay rise, am I better off investing the additional income in the stock market and managed funds, for example, or am I better off increasing my repayments on my investment property? What are the pros and cons? Cheers. Ah, now, if he was going to say on my personal mortgage, I would have <laughs> definitely said the personal mortgage. The investment property, uh, it really does depend. Like, firstly, it depends whether the investment property is a new build or rented out to social housing and it's tax deductible. So that's something we haven't spoken about at all. Um, it, re it really does. It really does depend. There's definitely strategies we've got going on where we're contributing to both managed funds and investment property at the same time. But you just have to project it all out and work what's, out, what's right for you. Sorry for sitting on the fence. No, but I also think like questions like these, we need to reteach ourselves that we're probably all we're hoping for is hindsight. So like we're wanting to delegate our thinking out because you're only going to know the right answer to something like this with future data to tell us what the house price did and what the share market did and say you got it to manage funds and they tanked you'd be like oh man i knew i should have paid down my mortgage but if you had to pay down your mortgage and then house prices went down and then managed funds were going up you're like oh man i knew i should have been investing and i think 
that's where like there's a little bit of a trap for people where we've had such a bull run in both property and investing that we think, okay, if we can just get access to money that's cheap and we just put it into like one of these markets, then I'm going to get this like magical return that's going to solve heaps of my problems. But we're probably still going to see heaps of choppiness. And this data, this information comes back to making good financial decisions over a long period of time, not just like, oh, well, the stock market was going up for three years. So like, doesn't that mean that it's going to do the same thing for another three? Mm, yeah. Um, this is a good one how do I actually set up extra payments weekly, monthly basis? Banks usually fix the mortgages and revolving credit isn't being provided at this stage as LVR has gone up with the property value fallen. Perfect. I get this question all the time. Um, so if your mortgage is fixed and you're one of the lucky people to have potentially a lower interest rate than others, um, I would just put the money into regularly contribute into a savings account that it's you can't touch. And then once the mortgage rolls off its fixed period and the loan is floating, then you can take the lump sum and pay off the mortgage. Um, and then you've got, and, and then there's options like some banks allow you to increase your mortgage repayments by 20% or some banks allow you to make a one-off 5% contribution a year. But if you can't do any of that stuff, put the money to a separate bank. When the mortgage comes off its fixed period, knock off a bit of the mortgage. Cool. The next one is with regards to shares versus property, what about geared investing? I understand this is available overseas and is possibly being introduced in New Zealand in the near future. I assume you wouldn't be able to leverage to the degree you can with property though. Mate, you might know about a bit about this, but I actually looked into this when the stocks just continued to go up and I was like, wow, I wonder if I could access some more debt against my shares that are going up. And you've basically, there's a couple of different ways you can do it in New Zealand. All good and well when shares are going up, but I knew that eventually that wasn't going to be the case and I didn't want to deal with that volatility and checking my share portfolio all the time to be like, oh, are they going to call me and make me want to pay this cash back? Um, so I didn't keep going down that rabbit hole and I don't think it is something that many people actually do borrowing against their own shares because most people don't have enough shares anyway. Yeah, I really don't. I really don't like it. Um, and and your comment about it being called in. The reality is, is as long as you make your mortgage repayments, you're not going to be called in on a on a mortgage. If the value of the house drops, it doesn't matter because you've still got rent coming through and all those sort of things. Um, uh, so I don't know if it's getting introduced to New Zealand anymore in the future. But in terms of financial literacy, because say you open something up to a small percentage of people who actually know what they're doing in that situation. There's all these other people, especially in this era of like get rich quick and not do the work and those kind of things who, I mean, it's it dangerous. would just become, it, it, it's, it's really dangerous. And yeah. All, all this is, is basically getting access to more money to then do something with it. And it's just like leverage at speed. And with that comes danger with whatever vehicle you're doing that in. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about buying commercial property, please? I have heard about schemes to invest in commercial property where you can contribute a fixed amount, but don't own the whole property you sell or yourself. How do these work? Um, I've got a client who's got a commercial building <clears throat> and it's a, it's a brilliant investment. It's his retirement and it pays him a, a monthly amount. And when COVID hit, they actually changed the rules for commercial properties. They allowed commercial landlords to depreciate the, the value of their building again, which we actually got rid of in New Zealand. That means that a, a small expense each year can be used to offset their income and therefore they pay less tax. So I thought it might become favoured again. Um, but then in terms of investing into commercial property syndicates, look, there's probably heaps of them out there. Uh, again, I'd be very careful 
Can you actually get your money back out? Uh, buyer beware with all those types of things. Um, yeah, James, any insights in that space? Yeah, um, it actually makes me think of something else first. These mortgage, these property developer funds out there, um, this is how the GFC was. This is, this is exactly, and this is the whole thing. People never learn from their lessons. Um, please stay away from those property developer funds. Um, the second piece around commercial property, yep, it can be a good investment. Depending on how it's leveraged though, like how you're financing it, it's usually a 15-year loan, a higher interest rate, and you have to pay principal and interest, um, and you've got to have a larger deposit. So in terms of accessing it can be um, quite tricky, but a great investment if you've got the capital. The, I, the contributing to funds and those sort of things, uh, I, I, you, unless there's something I've, I've missed in terms of available in the market, I usually think there's better places to put your money. I'll give you a bit of insight for me. I wanted some access to some commercial properties. So I went and brought some Kiwi property group stocks on the New Zealand stock market and I'm down about 23%. So um, awesome. Anyway, the next question is, is it true that it is better for those with wealth to set up a trust fund for their children to inherit as opposed to putting it in the will to be given to them? Uh, Something's been confused there, I think. Probably speak to a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, there's a whole very interesting conversation as well. Um, I'll actually give a plug here. We've got a event, if you're in Auckland, on how to grow your wealth for your kids in our office on the 17th of May. And um, we've got some kind of good people. 18th? Yeah. Ravi's just telling me I have no idea what's going on. Um, 18th of May. And Ravi will pop a link in the chat. Um, there's a whole really interesting thing around how if you struggle to build wealth, you want to give your kids money to get ahead. But if you give your kids too much money to get ahead and they don't learn the value of a dollar, it's not like kind of their self-worth and all of those sort of things over time don't really work out. Um, so that's one bit. The other, I mean, there's no, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, there's no gifting tax in New Zealand, right? No, it was removed uh, yeah. some ago. But, you know, good Lord legal advice, you then start to realise that parents might advance their children money, but hey, let's not just give it to them. Let's actually say that it's a debt. And then if the separation occurs between their son or daughter and their partner, they could say, well, sorry, you know, you're not entitled to any of that because it's not their money. We want it back. So that that that's another, you know, that's another webinar in itself, all of that space. Yeah. Um, someone's asking about what my bloods cost. I'll skip that one because it's probably just not important. Uh, do you have any suggestions? Mate, we we could do another webinar just on that. Yeah, we're getting results up on the screen. Uh, <laughs> do you have any suggestions around budgeting tools to use, especially for breaking down inflows and outflows of investment property? Do Lighthouse Financial have anything in that space? Um, breaking, I mean, zero would do a lot of that stuff, yeah. right? If we're talking about... Um, breaking down cash inflows and outflows. So you're probably talking about an accountant in that respect. We've got really good financial planning software that we use called Planalytics. So all our clients get a free, like a subscription. I shouldn't say free because you pay us. But um, and I think you can pay like 250 bucks or $500 a year for a subscription um, to that. The other option is um, Pocketsmith is a tool that allows you to pull in all your banking transaction, categorize them and set budgets off the back. I haven't seen anybody use it for investment property before, though. Yeah, 
I also put something on the keep the change story today. Like, don't be scared to just use a pad and a pen, like income minus expenses yeah. stuff. Like we love to overcomplicate. I get questions all the time. Hey man, like is shares is better than hatch? I'm like, I don't know. Like what's, what does best mean? Oh, like just isn't which one's the best one. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know what the fuck that, that even means because I don't know what you want to use it for. So, you know, also like what's the best um, software that I can use to track this or that. And I'm like, what, what just a, pad and a pens or people used to have before so like don't get too caught up on the best stuff as well like don't let it be the thing that stops you from actually doing um mate i think we'll do a couple more and then maybe we'll note all of these down and maybe do a podcast uh, going through some of these otherwise i think we might end up being here uh very very late and we might both get in trouble on the home front um so the next one is, is investing in something like squirrel money instead of the share market a good alternative can get 6 to 8% in interest. And the reason I've chosen to read this out is A, that it's at the top, but B, I keep getting asked this all the time. Like people are seeing what squirrel or now shares has got their savings account and people are, you know, looking at these returns wanting to park some money there. Yeah, I don't know if like the squirrel six to eight percent is the same thing as the shares account i think that i could be wrong because i haven't done any investigation to the squirrel thing i know squirrel does like um essentially like a mortgage type fund where you give us cash and then we'll lend it out to other people um if i mean squirrel's a relatively large organization but if it's a essentially they're trying to become their own quasi bank i don't think they've got enough scale where where I would be comfortable sinking, sinking my money into. Um, there are some other really good options, like um, in terms of savings accounts. Uh, Kernel Wealth has a cash fund that it's not just cash, it's a cash fund, um, but that has got like a 5.5% return and I'm quite comfortable with my clients putting money in there. I haven't looked into the shares account option yet. Um, there's lots of like 32-day notice savers with banks. Um but yeah, keeping money with the banks or just exactly where is the money and how it can be used, understanding that's really important. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because often we're quick to look at return on capital. So i.e., oh, I'm going to get six straight percent and it feels very exciting. Remember, you're probably going to get slammed by 30% in tax as well. If you earn about $48,000, as additional income for you, so you'd be taxed on it. But uh, what about return of capital? So, you know, you know, I wanted to know from Shearsies when they launched that savings account, two things like, where's this money going to sit? And B, what are you doing with it? And they were happy to ask, answer me part A, which was, oh, it's going to be parked with a New Zealand bank. Um, so then we think, okay, well, banks can't fail, but, you know, maybe they can. Um, but mm -hmm. I don't really know what the purpose of them having a savings account is, but we'll probably see more and more of these offerings. And, you just need to make sure that you are comfortable with where you're parking your money and your ultimate risk, wherever you transfer that money. And I do the same thing. Every time I transfer, I remind myself, Luke, before you hit submit, you have to accept that you're the person that hits submit. You take full ownership. You may not get this money back. That's your ultimate downside risk. And hopefully that doesn't happen, but I think it's a good way to set your mind up to go, are you completely in control with what you're about to do? Yeah, and I mean, a really good example without talking about the specific developer, there's a developer that's been in the media a lot where they were advertising a, 
an eight or a ten percent return on their fund, and then they're like, actually, you know what? It's a seven percent return. Actually, now it's a four percent return, and now actually you can't get your money out. And now we're going to make you buy shares in our company as the only option, but it's all still locked in um, with some things going on there. So yeah, very important you thinking about where your money's going. Cool. Two more because I've just spotted two real goodies. So the first one: How do you live off of income from a managed fund? Do you take drawings, sell, or live off of the dividends? Great question. So without putting everyone to sleep on a Thursday at seven forty-five, um, you actually don't. You buy units in a fund. You don't own like a bunch of companies. So you buy units, and over time, the unit value goes up. So what you have to do to take an income is sell down units to pull an income. But the idea of the value of the units is going up by more than the number of units you're selling in terms of the balance, your total asset is, is large enough. So you have to sell down units to get an income is the answer. And then you just want to be planning out, do I just want to live off my capital, like live off the interest, or am I happy to erode my capital over time? Nice. Yeah, I think the the thing that we don't understand about KiwiSaver very well as well is that just because we turn 65, which gives us access to KiwiSaver, doesn't mean that we have to get it all and be like, cool, now I've got it back in my bank account. Well, you know, what are you going to do? You're probably going to rinse a lot of it. You could continue to leave it in the market. But, you know, by the time a lot of us get there that are in our 30s or been contributing for longer, we're probably going to have better conversations about, oh, what do we actually do now? Because as we know with Warren Buffett, that a lot of people know, and he's the Oracle of Omaha and the GOAT when it comes to investing, 90% of his wealth was built after 65 in the, in the following 30 years because he just kept the compounding going. And I'd imagine he could never spend the dividends that he gets uh, from that compounding as well, let alone have to dig into the, to the capital. So... Um, something for all of us to think about now the final question is and I think people can probably contribute in the chat with this as well because Iona says listening with my 18 year old daughter here last year of college and doing OE next year what financial advice do you give youngsters these days so my thoughts on that are really all about the fundamentals is opposed like you know we talked all about the bad decisions bad decisions we made is when you're doing an OE, it's not really about creating lots of wealth, I would argue. It's about, okay, you're going and doing an OE. Um, you need to be saving up money to create good habits to be able to do the OE. We're not going to use credit cards. We're not going to use overdrafts. We're not going to use afterpay. Maybe we're in a position that we can regularly contribute a little bit to a, a managed fund. If I'm 18, I mean, I don't know how many 18-year-olds want to hear about financial education, but if you can understand how the world works at 18, even if you go and live your best life for, I don't know, three years or something, the head start you have in terms of information to create long-term wealth, you're, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah, I think if I could remind my 18-year-old self, it would be, yes, it's so tempting to take free money but free money is is never really free. And that's something that still kind of haunts me. Um, I don't know, like haunt me, but it's something I try to live by. We are, even during COVID, my business, um, we qualified for wage subsidies and interest-free loans and, and all of the money, sugar money that was floating around, but we didn't need it. And it was like 
the world was giving me this test. I'd sort of finally got to this point of sorting my financial shit out. And I was like, wow, free money again. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like there's any strings to this, hey, but like I've been here so many times before and I don't know if I should do it and made the decision to go like, you know what? No, I don't need that. So like, I'm not going to do it. And I think that was coming from knowing so many times in my 18s and 20s going overdraft mean four years to pay it off. Oh, now I've got an interest free credit card. Oh, Q card. Oh, increasing my balance. Oh my God, my credit cards. Apparently my limit's just been increased if I want it. Just call this 0800 number. Like, oh yeah, I'll pay it back on time. And I had so many of those moments and it's basically like, no, like I don't need to keep living like that. And I think that the sooner you learn those things, um, you can then sort of get past them and go into different chapters in your own financial journey. And look, for me, we didn't need that uh, COVID support money. So then that was my test. But for a lot of people, they needed it. And I'm not begrudging anyone that took it, that those were the rules. But yeah, just be very careful of free money. From all the things that I've seen, free money never ends up being free. Yeah, no, that's good. And the, the last thing I would say is if you're kind of 18 or at that stage, um, you're in a position opposed to somebody who's very tied in with fixed expenses and those sort of things. It's a great time in life to be taking risks. If you take risks and you know you can always recover from them, but um, what are the things you're interested in? Can you turn that into um, a business or can you create an income? What's your long, you know, in terms of career development and those sort of things and creating attractive skills? What can you invest like? very cheesy but the best investment is investing into yourself right invest like, increases your hourly rate which creates scale and then you can build assets in the future that will eventually pay an income and then you can choose what to do whatever you want with your time yeah just to double down on that again too i there was someone that messaged keep the change recently and they were 19 and basically they were saying my financial situation is sweet but i started listening to this and i don't even really need to but you've basically encouraged me to go out and start earning some extra money, saving some money. And I'm 19 and I've got $25,000 saved. And yeah. And the funny thing is that like, you know, the older you get, you realize how amazing that story is. And I was telling uh, a mate of mine who is going through a period where he's like rebuilding himself and he's coming off like a six figure salary. And he's just like, man, like, I think that was just mentally killing me. I'm just, I'm just having some time out. Um, and I told him that story and he just cracked up and he's like, bro, you, you just, you just completely changed the trajectory of that kid's life. And he doesn't even know it yet, you know? And I think that's the, when you're young, like you can't see these lessons because you don't, you haven't, you haven't gone through all the dumb shit that other people have to then realize like, damn it, what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just thought I'd share that one to finish, but Thank you to everybody that has tuned in. It's been awesome to see over 200 people uh, join at one stage. I'm sure many more people will get the recording. I know a lot of people have got uh, children and juggling family commitments, uh, as is James. So a massive shout out to James and then Ravi, who's been putting all this together. Uh, we hope that you've learned something. We're sure you have. Hopefully this can keep steering you in the right direction. As James said, if you've got questions, that you want asked, answered specifically about your situation. Uh, they've got a, a million things on around this place, but I'm sure they'll so make some time to, to help you if you need it. James, any parting words from you? Um, just plugs. Uh, 
One is you will get an email after this with um, the the um, checklist to how to build your own financial plan. So make sure to check that out. The other thing is, Ravi, are we doing a survey? Yeah, we're sending out a survey link. Really keen to hear how you found this. Um, yeah, I don't mind hanging out with Luke on a Thursday night. So let's do some more of these. If you got some ideas, if you want us to do more of them, and then what would be the next topic you'd want us to talk about as well? Um, yeah, I get a real buzz out of doing this stuff. Yeah, nice. I think as well, like if there's something we didn't cover that you were hoping we were going to cover, hey, we're open to that feedback. Uh, someone just said, never be arrogant, you know, always be learning. And that's, we, we don't get offended. We take feedback as, um, you know, a good way to steer us into what else can be done. If you want to tune in and find out what James and his offsider Michael were talking about as well, Checks and Balances podcast, which I've featured on um make sure you give them a five-star review if you tune into that too because that's what we do in the keep the change community but the boys have got some really good insights from conversations they're having with clients as well i think as well we talked about this before we jumped on but we're literally living in an age where we've got so much access to information and we're, we're probably we're going into a, a global recession potentially where we've literally got access to people that have been through 15 of them. We've got all the lessons. We can ask chat GPT what we should be doing. There's no more excuses for us anymore. Like a lot of generations and people before us didn't even have access to these things. They couldn't come to a webinar like this. So realistically, now it comes back to us actually taking action and doing that over long periods of time and getting out of our own way. You could invest into the freaking share market, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rightio. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your time as always. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye.